All right, well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to continue our sermon series looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I believe it's on page 1137 if you're using one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. And if you're following for the, looking for the kid's word, it's light today. If you don't know what that means, we have a number of families who have their children listen for the number of times I say a certain word in the sermon, and it helps them learn to pay attention and things like that. So that's what the kid's word, if, if you've ever wondered what that is. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, around the world people don't understand why we would read from a book written so long ago and that we would seek to know you more and understand your grace more and the glory of Christ more and the power of your Holy Spirit more. They don't understand why we would spend time in your word, worshiping you by looking into your word. But you have called us to do so and you have promised that your word never goes out and returns empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so for that, Lord, we are so thankful. We know that you are here with us, present with us, speaking to us even now. In and through your word, by the power of your spirit, as we focus our eyes on Christ. So would you just use this time now to help us to see Jesus more clearly? Would you help us to be more excited, equipped, and encouraged to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations? For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A few of you might know that uh, our home has kind of been a hospital for the last two weeks. We have four kids, and each one of them has had two different viruses that kind of rolled through one after another. And so for 15 or 16 days, uh, we had at least one, and often two and sometimes three. And I think for one day, there was four kids who were sick, um, and that's always good times. You know, when, uh, when you have sick children, you make a few more trips in the night. To help them out. I mean, when you have four kids, you're, at least one of them is going to be up at some point, no matter what. But when they're sick, it's multiple. And they call out and they say, Mom or Dad. And then you, as a parent, you look over to see if the other one's going. And 
And then if you realize it's, it's you, you get up and you, you go in our house, uh, you go straight across kind of our kitchen and family room area to get into where the, the kids are. And it seems like it never fails. Every time I need to run quickly through the house in order to get to one of the kids, one of the kids has somehow left a solid lead toy in the middle of the floor. And so I, as I'm running across, and apparently when I'm trying to get to my kids, I really am trying to get there because when my feet crash into those things, I break like all my toes, even on the foot that I didn't hit it with. I mean, it's just horrible. And then I'm laying on the floor trying to make sense of life and trigger, figure out why I'm in so much pain. And Hannah has to take care of the kid who's sick and me. It's just awful. But think the thing is, if there was one thing One simple thing that I would do, it would change everything. And that is when you walk out of our bedroom, right on the wall, there's this little white thing. And if you push it, light comes on. It's amazing. But nonetheless, every time I just bolt right out the door, I forget the light switch, I kick the thing, I cry a little bit, we all make it back to bed at some point. But there's always danger in the dark, right? When we're in the dark, we don't understand things or we don't see things, we're not aware of something that may hurt us we are so vulnerable we're in this sermon series where we're talking about the things that jesus has said about himself in the gospel of john these i am statements last week we talked about how he said i am the bread of life and we saw how he is the one true source of lasting satisfaction for our souls and this morning in this passage that we read he says that he is the light of the world And what that means is that he is the one and only person who can turn the lights on for us when it comes to God. It is only in and through a relationship with Jesus that we can actually know God, that we can know what he's like. He turns the light on for us. You see, a lot of times we don't even realize this, but so much of our sadness or suffering, so much of our sin, misery in life, It all stems back to the fact that apart from Jesus, we can't know God. And therefore, we can't know what the world is supposed to be like. That we're in the dark when it comes to God. And so that's why it is such amazing news that Jesus is the light of the world. That in Christ, God reveals himself to us and reveals his grace to us. And that's our focus for this morning as we talk about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. As the light of the world. As the light of the world, Jesus reveals God and his grace to the world. And so we'll talk about three things, light and darkness, and then we'll do a little case study on the Pharisees, and lastly, irony and invitation. Light and darkness, case study, and irony and invitation. So let's talk about light and darkness. We'll talk about some of the contrast here in Scripture, but the main thing we want to focus on uh, is realizing is that because of the fall, unless God reveals himself to us, we cannot see God or know what he's like, or understand life in the world that he has created. This is a key thing, key message of the Bible. That on our own, human beings would never see God, know God, know what he's like. And Jesus is God revealed. Let's look at verse 12. Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there's that contrast between light and dark. And actually, 
what's really amazing is the contrast of light and dark runs all through the scriptures. It begins at the beginning. If you were to flip to Genesis chapter 1, the first three or four verses, this is what you would read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 4, it says, God saw that light was good. He saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So even in the very beginning of creation, of God's creation, you see this separation of light and dark. And God doesn't say anything about darkness, but he does say something about light. It's good. And then all through the scriptures, we see things that are associated with God, aligned with his purposes referred to as light, his wisdom, his truth, his salvation, and many other things. And then all through the scriptures, you see things that are opposed to God, metaphorically referred to as darkness. And so this theme runs all the way through, light and dark. And that God is a God who speaks light into darkness where did the darkness come from? In Genesis 3, most of us are familiar with that, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil to disobey God, to trust in the words of the devil instead of the words of our God and Father. And they obeyed the devil. They disobeyed God. They, they sinned. And in the process, they not only plunged the world into sin and, sin and misery, but the lights went out when it comes to humanity and God. And humanity from that point on, except for when God revealed himself to people, humanity is completely in the dark about God. So what Satan did in tempting Adam and Eve to sin was really closed their eyes. He, he, when they did that, it, the lights went out. In fact, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says, The God of this world, and he's talking about Satan. There's a little g there. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so what he's referring to there is that's what happened in the garden, that humanity was suddenly blinded and unable to see who God is, what God is like, to know anything about him, except that he exists and that he created the world. This is why there's so many thousands of religions all over the world, human beings have this longing inside to know that there's something so they chase after things and they make things up and they create wooden things or metal things and they bow down to them or they choose other things to worship we know there's something else out there but we're actually blind to the reality that god is the only one who can help us we can't know that god exists Unless he reveals himself to us. And that is what's so powerful about what Jesus is saying here. In saying, I am the light of the world, he's telling us that he is the fullest revelation of God. When we look at him, we're looking at God. When we hear him, we're hearing God. When we see his teaching, it's God's teaching. When we hear his grace, it's God's grace. That Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus is God revealed. Because he doesn't want us to live in darkness. He doesn't want us to be in darkness. He wants the light on. And so Jesus comes 
This is why Paul says in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Sin has blinded us. We can't see God. Jesus comes as the image of the invisible God. In Christ we see God. It's why the author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. You see that? Jesus is God revealed. Jesus is the one who turns the lights on so that we can see God and know God and see his glory and his grace. See, otherwise we walk in darkness. And that's what Jesus is saying. If, you, if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of light. And that walking in darkness is, is referring to our, our sin and our misery and our inability to figure out really why we're that way. That we are on this cycle where we, we, we disobey God because we don't really know what he really wants from us. We don't want to obey him anyway. Yet we want something, so we're looking for some things and we fall into sin. And you get in this cycle where we're searching, but we fail. And we're searching, but we fail. And there's just no joy. And so we need light. And that's why Jesus says that if we do follow him, then we're following the one who reveals God most fully to us. And therefore, we will have the light of life. Jesus turns the lights on so that we can see who God is, what God is like. And the only way out of the darkness is if he leads us out of the darkness. So let's think about, you know, the effects of the fall are really comprehensive. They affect, the fall affects everything about us. Everything about us has been damaged by sin. The way we think, the way we feel, the things we do, our behavior, experiences. We have to understand that the blindness, the darkness is very, very pervasive. And one of the things in scripture, theologically, we talk about the noetic effects of the fall or of sin, and that is that we are, are even our thinking, we can think and we can reason, but when it comes to God, the lights are out. All human beings. Think about this. Psalm 82.5 says, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. There's the theme of darkness connected to our broken knowledge and inability to know God, our blindness. Uh, Romans 1.21, Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he's really referring to humanity in general. This is what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Humanity became futile in our thinking. Again, that doesn't mean we can't think. So, you know, We can do math, we can do science, we can think. But when it comes to God, the lights are out. We cannot know him unless he reveals himself to us. Our hearts are darkened. And so this is what has happened in the garden. It has left humanity blind to the truth, blind to the reality of who God is and what he is like. And we spend our lives chasing things that we hope will be light and they are not. So let's do a case study because it's very interesting, the, the next thing that happens in this passage. So keep your Bibles open. Let's look at, we're going to walk through verses 13 through 19 and just see what, what Jesus points out as the, the fundamental problem with the Pharisees. That's what you want to try to ask yourself as you look at these verses. What is the primary reason the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus? Okay, let's take a look. 
uh, we're gonna, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees, just so in case you're unfamiliar with that term, the Pharisees were some religious leaders. Uh, they were Jewish religious leaders. And um, one of the big differences between some of the you know, religious leaders today or the Pharisees is the, the Pharisees did believe in the inspiration of Scripture like we do, the sovereignty of God like we do, the afterlife like we do. And they believed in the Bible, which was at that point the Old Testament. But they also held their oral tradition. So their interpretations were, in their minds, infallible as well, like equal on equal par with the Scriptures. That's, that's part of the issue here. But here's, he's talking to these Pharisees. These guys are experts. They know the Old Testament. And as far as they know, they are the light. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees are hearing that. They know that light is associated with God. They also hear him speaking exclusively. If you're not following me, then you're walking in darkness. So they hear Jesus saying to them that they're in darkness. Nobody likes to be told that. So they, re- they react. Look at verse 13. They say, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Notice where he bases the truth of what he's saying. He roots it firmly in the fact that he has come from heaven. He knows what he's talking about. Interesting on that, interesting note on that, if you think about the bread of life, last week we talked about Jesus as the bread of life. He said that God's true bread comes down from heaven. It's the same thing. Now the light also comes down from heaven. And what he's saying is that he knows what he's saying is true because he's, he was not impacted by the fall. He is God incarnate. He does not make mistakes. John says in 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So Jesus says, here's why I know what I'm saying is true. I'm God incarnate. I'm here to reveal to you who God is. And then he addresses the problem. Verse 15, here's the problem. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Again, he's he's focusing on that connection, that perfect alignment he has with the father but the problem with the pharisees and the problem with human beings all over the world and the reason that we don't know god or can't see god unless god reveals himself to us is we're human 15 you judge according to the flesh you judge according to your humanity which we've already seen is broken it's flawed we are blinded to the truth this is why they don't recognize jesus for who he is And what's so interesting is the word judge, the Greek word that we translate in English as judge, it literally means to separate. So as they're trying to separate truth from fiction, good from bad, as they're trying to figure things out, they have separated things wrongly, he is saying. That they are in the darkness. They're walking in the darkness. And it's because of their humanity. We make mistakes. We make huge mistakes Because we're broken, because of the fall. We were victims before we were sinners, you know. And so in 17, he talks about their law and about how he's bearing witness. And so his his father is bearing witness about him. And he's really just setting them up so they will say something that really convicts them. Because they basically say that they don't know God. Look at verse 19. They said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father 
also. And so Jesus stands there with his perfect, flawless, unhindered by sin, perfect knowledge. And he tells them who he is. He's the light of the world, but they don't recognize it. And it's not because he's not the light of the world. It's not because he's not the son of God. It's because they have made their own God in their own image. And so they don't recognize the true God or the son of God. So this is very, very condemning. They're saying, we don't know God. When they say, where's your father? They're saying, we don't know God. They're blind. And now a few verses later, he tells them, look, if you, if you got your Bible open, you look at verse 21 or 24, and he says, look, unless you follow me, you're going to die in your sin. All of the sins that we've committed, we have to pay for those unless we follow Jesus and he delivers us from them. But they are blind and it's because they're human. They're operating without critical information because they can't see it. This is what the fall has done to humanity. We can't see the critical information. When you try to make a judgment on something, whether something's true or false or good or bad or ugly or beautiful, when you are missing critical information you're going to make the wrong judgment just ask kenny waters you know who kenny waters is you know who betty ann waters is years ago a young woman named betty ann waters when she was 29 years old uh, her brother kenny was convicted of murder in massachusetts and uh, he kept telling his sister that he was innocent and she believed him so she ended up dedicating uh, her life to basically prove that he was somehow innocent. And she ended up giving two decades. For 20 years, she worked to prove his innocence. She put herself through college, and then she put herself through law school and became a lawyer so that she could work on this case and try to show the innocence of her brother whom she loved. And finally, in the year 2000, Betty Ann and the Innocence Project obtained DNA testing Um, access to DNA testing on the evidence from the crime scene from Kenny's case. And the results of the DNA testing proved that Kenny was indeed innocent. And he had spent 20 years incarcerated for a murder he didn't commit. The judge and the jury make a judgment about him And even though there is evidence out there of his innocence, conclusive evidence of his innocence, they can't see it, they don't even know about it, and therefore they make a horrible, terrible judgment because of their limitedness. And the reality is, because of the fall, you and I, everyone on the planet, when when it comes to God, when we think about God, we are missing critical information Because we're blind to who God is and what he's like. And therefore, we make judgments that are completely wrong. And it leaves us in our sin. It leaves us in darkness. And unless something happens, unless something comes, unless God comes to us and opens our eyes, we will remain in darkness. We will die in our sins. We will spend eternity in darkness. And that's why it is so beautiful and powerful to hear the news that Jesus is The light of the world. Jesus reveals what we can't see about God to us. And we receive that. We start, we see that when we follow Him, when we trust Him. 
Jesus is here. He's come to rescue us. He's come to turn the lights on about God so that we can see who God is, see what God is like, see how glorious he is, see how gracious he is, and give our lives to serving him and receiving his grace and his mercy. It's only through following Jesus that we can experience what Jesus calls the light of life, the true life, life as it was meant to be, life with the lights on about God, life in a beautiful relationship with God that never ends. It's only through him. Otherwise, we are blinded. He didn't just come to make us smarter. Or didn't just come to make us better people. Look at this. Herman Ritterbus uh, hits on this. A good Dutch name. The light does not merely bring about a degree of clarification by which human beings are raised to a higher level, say, of knowledge or conduct but rather rescues them from the life-threatening forces of darkness. That's who Jesus is. He is not just making us smarter or helping us to know things we couldn't know. It's even better than that. He's rescuing us from what the darkness has done and is doing and would do to us for eternity. He rescues us. He fixes us because in his light, we see light. And we have the light of life as we know him. And, and think about this. You know, we talk about all these different ways that, the, that we're impacted by the fall. And we only mentioned really one specifically, our knowledge. Well, think about this. In the New Testament, Paul shows us that our knowledge, our, our ability to understand and know things, changes fundamentally when we know Christ. He talks about 2 Corinthians uh, 10.5. He says, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our minds begin to, to understand Jesus and begin to understand the world that God has made. 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. And so we don't have to live with the darkened mind. We can actually know more of what Christ knows. Jesus, who is God himself, God incarnate. And it absolutely changes us. We begin to see the world differently. And the more that we know him, the more we understand how gracious God is and how much he loves us and how much he wants for us to know him. And that's why Jesus has come. Listen to this. I'm going to read a long passage, just a little snippet on the screen. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Now listen, um, there are other ways that the Bible talks about our blindness. Sometimes it talks about our blindness as our deadness, that we're dead to spiritual things. We're dead because of our sin. That's what Paul says. He, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying that believers were once like everybody else. We were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were blind to the reality of who God is. We were just doing whatever we thought would be right, and it was heaping up the condemnation on us because we're in God's world where he is the ultimate authority. And then two of the best words in the passage, but God. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He turned on the lights. He opened our eyes through the work of the Holy Spirit, pointing us to Christ. By grace, he says, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show, that is to reveal the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we may walk in them. Do you see it? God opens our eyes in Christ. He, he, he liberates us from the darkness of our mind that prevents us from knowing him. And we get to see that he is merciful, that he saves us by grace through faith in Christ. And that's why faith is so essential. It matters. That's why faith is the, should be the most important aspect of our relationship with Jesus is that we believe him, that we trust him, that we follow him. Because as we follow him, Jesus is saying, then we have the light of life. Why? Because John says in John 1 verse 4, in him, in Christ, was life and the life was the light of men. It is as we follow Jesus and know Jesus that he continues to reveal more about himself, more about God to us. More about his mercy, more about his grace. That the whole Bible, all the scriptures are about him. Because it is through him that he is the light of the world. It's through him that we know God. And so following is key. And it's not just agreeing, okay, you're the son of God. It's really following. There is an action. That's not how we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith. But if we believe, we will follow. Jesus uses that word intentionally. Follow. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They would use that same word to refer to a soldier following his commander into battle. Back then, they would use the word also to refer to a servant tending to his master. They would use that same word to refer to someone who accepts the judgment of wise counsel. They would refer, use that same word to refer to a person who's following the laws of the land. We use it here too. So there is this emphasis on trusting him and obeying him. But it's he who's saved us. It's he who has delivered us from the darkness. So for the non-believer, the challenge is, I get it, I understand. The challenge for a non-believer is, you're saying that I can't see something and I need to put my faith in it. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. And if you do, then you begin to see. And the challenge for the believer is to recognize where there's darkness in our lives, where are we letting sin influence us, where are we needing to get our eyes back on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and, and continue to let him be the one who determines through what's written about him in all of the Bible, to let him determine what is true and what is false and what is good and what is bad and what is beautiful and what is ugly. That we continually get our eyes back on him. He's the one who reveals God and therefore reveals the truth about all things. It's so ironic here. I want to show you the irony in this passage, okay? Look at verse 20 and look at the irony of the passage and then this invitation that John does here. Okay, after showing that, that, that we, we need Jesus, he is the light of the world. He's the only one who can reveal God to us. There's this irony. Verse 20 says, these words, he spoke in the, or, I'm sorry, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. A couple things on that. John's very intentional about telling us where Jesus was when he said this. And he was also intentional about telling us when this was. If you look back at John 7, you know that when he's saying, I am the light of the world, he's saying it on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a a Jewish celebration. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was this tradition that they had where there were these really, really tall lampstands. I mean, they went way up into the sky. They were in the temple, and they would light these 
lampstands. And this massive fire would burn at the top of these lampstands. It would be so bright that the light would pour down out of the temple over Jerusalem. And it was said that Jerusalem itself would glow in the light. And it was to be a picture of the light that God gives to us. Now here's the irony. Historians tell us that they used to leave one of the lampstands unlit. They would leave it dark. To symbolize that God's full salvation had not yet come. The Messiah had not arrived. And those lampstands were in the temple in the treasury. And so Jesus is quite possibly standing next to the huge tower that's unlit. Saying to them, here I am. I am the light of the world. Light it up. God's salvation has come. And the ironic part is even though they're talking to him in this place, they just don't see it. And maybe John didn't see it at that moment either, and that's perhaps why he says what he says. Because notice that after he talks about where Jesus was in this moment, he says no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. As John is writing about this, he can't help but to think about the one hour, the hour that matters the most for all of humanity, the hour in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world, by darkness slain on the cross, paying for the sins, paying for the darkness in my heart and yours if you're a believer, for everyone who would ever believe in him. That hour where the light of the world is on a cross by darkness slain. And what happened at the cross? What happened when Jesus died? In Matthew 27, in Mark 15, in Luke 23, it says all three places. And darkness fell over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth. And that is the picture. That is what was, what was happening to Jesus. The light of the world was taking the darkness of his people onto his back so that God the Father could pour out his wrath for our sins on him instead of upon you and me. And then Jesus is laid in a tomb. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. And we know that John is exactly right when he begins his gospel at John 1 verse 5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the beauty of the resurrection. That he's risen from the dead proving that what he's done has paid our debt and that he really is the light of the world and that through him we really do know God and the more we know him the more we know the Father and the more we know what Jesus is like the more we know what God is like because he and the Father are one together with the Holy Spirit. And if that isn't good enough, he also promises us eternal life because that promise of whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life that continues on for eternity except there's a difference. You see, in the beginning God created and he separated the light from the dark. And then you've got a whole Bible about the the continual separation between the light and the dark all centering on the light being Jesus Christ. And then at the end, there's one thing missing in the new heavens and new earth. We will never see it again. Do you know what it is? Darkness. 
Revelation 21, verse 22, talking about the new heavens and new earth where Jesus is leading us now like he, like the light led the Israelites in the wilderness. And here's where we get to. He says, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord. It gives light. And its lamp is the Lamb. He's the light of the world. Now he's the light of the new heavens and new earth forever. Revelation 22, 3, no longer will we, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. That's in the new heavens and new earth and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. If you are not a believer, you have to understand you will never see enough to make you jump in and trust Jesus. You will have to, like the rest of us, take that step of faith. And the promise is once you do, you will be able to look back and see that it was the light who came for you. And that's the only reason that you did trust in him. And for those of us who are believers, think about this. If Jesus really is the light of the world, the only way that we really can understand God, if he's the fullest revelation of God, and if God created the world, then we can't really understand God or anything without him. We are so incredibly 100% dependent on him. At every moment, in our marriages, at work, in our neighborhoods, in good times and in, and in bad, we need his light. We need our eyes to go back to him, back to the light. That we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And the beautiful thing is, he's always there. And he always will be. Because he's the light of the world. He's rescued us from the darkness. Let's pray. Father. Your grace and your mercy are so... Hard to even fathom, but in Jesus we see you, we know you, and would you please help us keep our eyes on him. Let us center our entire lives on him. Let us live for him, through him. Let us read the Bible looking for him on every page. Let us live our lives seeking to declare the excellencies of him who has taken us out of darkness into your marvelous light. From this day forth and forevermore, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.